You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Asbury University. It's a great joy for me to be able to share with you again, continuing the Love and Action series, especially since we have tasted and we have seen and we have known the love of God in our community. It's a very special time to bring this message when so much of God's love has been visible, visible from the perspective of looking up and seeing him, and also visible as I look out and I see the way that you have loved one another. And so as we continue to journey through Romans 12 through 14, we keep meeting the words of the Apostle Paul. Now many describe Paul as a zealot, a theologian, a letter writer, a martyr, but maybe you've never heard this description of Paul, the apostle of love. But in fact, if we take a look at Pauline theology, we find that his theology centralizes on the ethic of love. Patrick Mitchell, in his book called The Message of Love, I highly recommend it, he emphasizes that Paul uses the term agape, the Greek word for love, 75 times, agapao, to love, 34 times, and agapetos, beloved, 27 times. This total of 136 occurrences of love language is 42.5% of the 320 uses in the New Testament as a whole. In fact, love in action, or visible love, is central to what it means to be Christian in Pauline thought. For today, I want to do a little bit of a reflection. I want to unpack a definition of love throughout the book of Romans. In this book, Paul explicitly teaches us where does love come from, and why is Christian love so different? No doubt, we have all experienced malformed versions of love. When love is sought in the wrong places, it leads with deep disappointment. In our current culture, I would say love has seemingly become God. Love becomes the end goal or the primary focal point. James K.A. Smith were reminded of his quote. He says, we are shaped by what we love. We will worship what we love. So the question isn't whether you will love something, it is what we will love. Malformed love exists when love is the ultimate target. Malformed love exists when love itself becomes God. Malformed love often results in manipulation, abuse, self-seeking behavior as a seeker attempts to find love. We could even look to the biblical stories that reveal to us and exemplify malformed love, such as the rich young ruler who treasured earthly possessions over heavenly ones. Malform attempts to be loved seek to fill that deep hole inside, only to find that the hole is a bottomless pit. In fact, love can be bent into any shape we force it into. It can be sought anywhere a seeker can seek. This, my friends, thanks be to God, is not the Christian story. The Gospel of John makes the explicit claim that God is love. If God is love, Love then takes a cruciform shape, a self-sacrificial shape. In other words, true love must reflect God's character. 
Genuine love has to be understand, understood in relationship with who God is. And so here's your first point. If you're a chapel note taker, here's point number one. First of all, the whole story of love begins with God. Romans 5, 6 through 8 demonstrates that you see just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The story, my friends, doesn't begin with our seeking. It begins with God's loving. Let's consider what we can learn about this God type of love. First of all, God's type of love is for all people, including the powerless and the ungodly. God's love is for the sinner. Mitchell says it this way, what is inconceivable in the ancient world and in our world today is giving your life for someone who is completely undeserving of goodwill and is hostile towards you. But this is for whom God died. Christ died for the powerless, the ungodly, and the sinners. This type of love is self-sacrificial. This type of love is costly. It represents, it represents a deep humility. What is humility, you ask? It is giving up power for the sake of the other. It is giving deep grace, the willingness to step down and serve others at the point of need, or the willingness to wash the feet of an enemy. This God type of love is self-giving. This God type of love is undeserved and unearned. As we can see, God's love starts the story, but it's not a one-sided story. Love is always a relational story. And so the self-sacrificial act of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection sets us free to be part of this love story. In fact, this God type of love is so pure, so strong, and so deep that there are no limits to its reach. In fact, the bottomless pit suddenly has a bottom. And when this kind of love reaches us, my friends, we are genuinely filled. We are genuinely satisfied. In other words, God is love, not love is God. The arrow must be pointed at the right target. We have to have the right starting point. And so for you note takers, I see some of you out there. Point number two, how do we know this kind of love? Dr. Vaughn, you're telling me there is a love this great. How do we know this kind of love? And I wanted to share just a little bit of my own personal testimony here, if that's okay. Most of you know me as Dr. Vaughn, a Bible and theology professor at Asbury University, and I wanna let you know a little bit more of who I am and how I first met the love of God. Lots of folks will sometimes ask me, so how is it that you gave your life to Christ? And I'm not always sure how to answer the question as I don't think my experience fits always what they want me to say. In fact, I don't have a date of memory by which I gave my life to Christ. I did eventually pray a, a sinner's prayer as an adolescent, but it didn't, that's not where the story started for me. You see, the story started for me when I was about three or four years old. And I remember this memory, and if you, if you do memory studies, there's a whole discipline of this. You remember the best of the best, and often the worst of the worst, and these memories become implanted. And I have this very vivid memory 
of being on a car ride on the way home from a church service, and I looked out the window, and the, the sky was dark, and the stars were bright, and at that moment, I felt God's love. And as a three or four-year-old child, I couldn't have put it to words then, but I could say at that moment, I knew there was a God, and I knew I was loved. This is the start of my story. This was the start of my Christian journey. I tend to think of this as my Romans 5-5 moment. My friends, there's nothing like God's love. You might say, well, was that, was that, did that happen and then you never felt that again? Or did you experience that experience of being beloved and being known by God over and over and over again? And I can tell you that God doesn't just pour out his love once and say, that's good enough for a lifetime. God pours out his love over and over and over and over again. I could cite the places in my own brokenness and pain where I have felt that God poured love into those places and said to me, to be created is to be loved. To be known by God is to be beloved. It is to be cherished. It is to be deeply cared for. It is, my friends, to be seen and known for all of who we are. And so let, let's look back at this Romans 5, 5 text. This is our second part in Romans we're looking at. The text says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, if we take a look at the Greek grammar, Sorry, you guys, you already know I'm a Bible nerd, so just give me one second. You will find that this verb here in the text for the pouring out of God's love is not like he poured it out and then he set the vessel of water down and said, done. What you find here is this is an over and over and over and over and over and a continuous pouring of love onto God's creation. In fact, one commentator said it like this, God's outpouring of love is is like a permanent flood, a permanent flood, a crucial aspect. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit pours out this love of God over and over and over and over and over again. For me, I experienced this moment. It was very personal for me as a young child by myself. For others of you, you've experienced it with hundreds of people surrounding you. Or maybe you've never experienced it. But this, my friends, is the work of the Holy Spirit, to pour out the love over and over and over again. And sometimes, if you've ever been a part of a flood or witnessed a flood, sometimes you might even have the feeling of like, okay, enough, enough, okay, you know, it's coming up, it's taking over, you know, you know, my life is changing, things are changing. Floods uh, do that. Floods are powerful. And I want to say, personally, I've experienced this deep love in the last few weeks at Asbury University. It has refreshed me. It has encouraged me. And I've heard so many other stories of the experience and the encounter of being poured out and being loved. One testimony stood out. It went something like this. Seeing the mass pouring out of God's love is so attractive. I just can't get enough of it. It is like a magnet. I cannot seem to pull away. Why? Because this is what we are created for. We are created and we are loved. Maybe you're like, wow, that sounds really good, but I haven't had that experience yet. 
Maybe you think God's arm is kind of short. It just can't reach down to the bottom of your pit. And I want to remind you of a quote from Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a woman famous for hiding Jews from arrest uh, during the deportation, during German occupation in the Netherlands. And she says this. She says this not in an easy context. She says this in a hard context. She says it in the context of God loving her so much that she's able to forgive the prison guards who did evil, evil things. She says it in that context, and she says, there is no pit too deep where God's love is not yet deeper still. There is no place he cannot reach. There is no one too far for God. His love can reach out, and he is, you know, we might even be a little nervous to pray, God, pour out your love on us. But just because we continue on in our story at Asbury University, God is here. The Spirit of God is here, and this pouring out will continue over and over and over again in our community and beyond our community. So now we have two points. Love starts with God, God begins the story, and God pours out his love on us through the work of the Holy Spirit. You have those two points? Point number three, we're gonna shift the focus from God's love to us. What does our love look like? What, how do we be this love in action? In other words, that people see and say, wow, I feel God's love. This is our text from Romans 13, and, and Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love. The continuing debt to love. Now, this is an interesting debt. In fact, this debt is different than a mortgage payment or student loans or credit card payments. These debts are eventually repaid and no more payments are required, thanks be to God. However, the debt of love is never resolved. The debt is paid over and over and over and over again. And my friends, this debt is not it's not, doesn't end because God's love doesn't end. In fact, God's love is unlimited. And so you simply can't have too much. In other words, the Spirit of God inspires a love that is fully free to love without limits, conditions, or an end. How do we love like this? I think as we stay connected to the vine, God's love pours out on us over and over like a continuing flood. And so you might think, wow, I wonder what's in the account. It wasn't much. The next time you go look, it is utterly full, and you did nothing to deserve it. This is the way God's love works. As we stay connected, we are empowered to love and love and love and love and love without condition and limit. You might think, well, isn't that a little bit unfair? I wish I could just reach the end of that payment. I wish I could just pay it all up. But this, isn't, this, is, this love, I want you to understand this. This love isn't a dig down deep and I can do it better on my own. This is a stay connected to the vine and be filled with the love of God kind of story. He keeps pouring out his love on us. It is a free gift and we become like a vessel. He pours in, we pour out. He pours in, we pour out. This type of loving is not a burden because we're not making the experience happen. This isn't I have to work for that mortgage payment and get everything all stored up so then I can go pay it. This is a different kind of story. 
As Paul keeps going in the text, the next thing he does is he, he points back to the law. And he says, because love fulfills the law. And he cites four commandments. And then I think it's a little bit funny. Maybe you guys will do this on an exam someday, where it's like, cite all of the laws. And he puts four, and then he gets a little tired. He's like, well, whatever else there might be, you know, maybe a professor would give half credit for that or something like that. But he doesn't cite all of them. He gives a start, and then he just kind of lets whatever else there might be. The whole purpose of all of them, never mind anything else, is to love God and to love others. And so the law totally reinforces his point because it set people free to love. And so the love is ultimately summed up in loving God and loving others. The law gave directions to not put chains on people, but to set people free from chains of living in ways that we were not created for. The law was the how-to guide on how to love. In the last point he makes in Romans 13, he urges his audience to change their clothes. This is an attention-grabbing metaphor to sum up the argument, and he makes a radical point. The interesting thing about clothing is that it provides an external and visible witness to a person. For instance, if I had a firefighter come up on stage, you would assume that that person is prepared to fight fires. In fact, they are a firefighter. If I brought a person up with a white jacket and a stethoscope around the neck, you would assume that the person is a medic of sorts. And this helps to understand a bit of the surface meaning here, but there's a deeper meaning that Paul is talking about. In fact, he's asking for one identity to be taken off and another identity to be put on. In fact, the identity of darkness is taken off and the identity of light is put on. The identity of a sleep is changed to awake. The identity of drunkenness is turned to sobriety. The identity of not wearing Christ is changed to being clothed with Christ. I imagine what it would be like if people look and they see us, and they see our witness, they see our lives, and they say, wow, they are doing a really good job at reflecting God's love. This is the effect of God's love. God's love opens doors towards radical transformation, not just on the outside, but on the inside. In fact, we have two kinds of language here. We have a conversion language, and we have an utter transformation that takes place in the changing of the clothes. In fact, we could summarize the point by saying that being loved by God totally reorients our lives so that even from the outside, our love looks different than the malformed versions of love we've previously experienced. The love we receive then impacts every part of daily living. It impacts one's mind. Remember, at the beginning of Romans 12, we talked about the renewing of our mind. The love of God renews our mind. It impacts our will, it impacts our emotions, and God's love reaches deep inside to heal us from the dark wounds of pain. You might say, could you be a little bit more practical with this? And to me, there's one practical illustration that I think we we have really standing with as a community, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the fruit grows when the deepest places of our heart are cultivated by a deep experience of God's love. When this deep love is experienced, we are set free from the acts of the flesh and empowered to the fruit of the Spirit. 
Galatians 5, through 23 reads, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that part we're very familiar with. And I've heard a lot of good sermons on that part. But I have heard less this line. This line follows up the description of the fruit of the Spirit. And the text says, against such things there is no law. Now, you, you might be thinking, wow, that's interesting. What are they talking about here? New Test, uh, N.T. Wright says it this way, there is no law that opposes things like that. There's no law. So things like what? There is no law that says don't love anymore. Enough love already, guys. We, we need to put a cap on it. There's no law that says too much peace in society. There's no law that says too much self-control. These things are utter freedom, and they are utterly good, and they're ways that we're radically transformed when God's love reaches us first, and we become deep recipients, and then we're transformed to pour that love out on others. In contrast, our selfish, mean-spirited, and out-of-control behaviors. This is the contrast in the fruit and the, the, the vice list that's in Galatians 5. And so we think about how then are we free? How then are we free? We are most free when we are bearing good fruit, loved by God, transformed by God. We even change our clothes. You know, I'm a mom of a six-year-old. Do you know how many times already in her life I have changed her wardrobe? The, ki the kid keeps growing and growing and growing. And it's like, oh, now new clothes, new clothes. This, is a, this maybe is a thing we think about in our spiritual life. When we grow, those old things, they just don't fit right anymore. And so we lay them down and we keep putting on Christ. In closing, my friends, I want us to with urgency hold on to the words of Paul. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Let's let our debt be continually paid, knowing that God will empower us to pour out his love like an overwhelming flood and enable and empower us to love him and to love others. May the God of love challenge us to grow so that we become uncomfortable in our own clothes and we are challenged to put on new ones clothing that genuinely reveals to the world that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And we pray right now, God, that you would continue the flood that you have started in each and every individual. We pray that that love would continue to be revealed and that it would be deep. And we pray that the love of God would continue to be cultivated in the lives of every person that has visited our campus. And we pray that you continue to pour out your love all over our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.